you open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Revelation chapter 4. And I'm actually going to read chapters 4 and 5 together because it's a, a, a unit, but I am only preach the 11 verses of chapter 4. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for gathering us together for worship around your word. The center of praise is you and your throne. And the center of worship is you and your word. And we pray now that you would help us to hear clearly and that the word would be preached rightly. And by your spirit, you would bring us into your presence. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And the reason we're going to do this in um, these two chapters 4 and 5 is just the first verse. It says, after this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And um, just to give you an intro before we go into the rest of it, if we just preach that one verse, we would have to go back to uh, chapter 3 verse 20 and see, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So there, Jesus is standing at the door of a church and saying, you have problems in this church, and I'm outside the door. Open the door, and I will come in and eat with you. And in chapter 3, verse 8, we read, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. And so here for this church, he is saying to them, you've been shut out of the synagogue because they've lied about you and they are not worshiping Christ. But I have an open door for you. The door to the kingdom is open. Nobody's going to kick you out of the kingdom. The door is open in the kingdom. The church at uh, Laodicea was a bad church, and he's outside the door. <laughs> but he's knocking. And he says, if anyone hears, will come in. And then we get here, and we have this other door and the first two doors, and they have to be connected. You can't say door three times that close together and not think about them together in some way. But the first two doors have to do with, with intimacy with God, church membership, entrance into the kingdom of God. In this physical world, which is attached in some way to the spiritual world. And then the very next thing we see after these letters to the seven churches, the very next thing is... John now looks up and behold, he sees a door standing open in heaven so that what he can now see is things in the heavenly places which we cannot see from our perspective here except through eyes of faith. But in this particular vision that John has given now, what we have is not a photograph of the heavenly places, but an artistic rendering of it, so to speak, so that we have a vision that is placed before us because you cannot see God. And so for John, for the Holy Spirit to be able to explain to us the things that are happening in heaven now, he has to do this in these symbols and in this imagery. So this is what we see now in heaven. If there's a door that opens up, as Stephen, when he was being stoned, the first um, Christian martyr, he looked and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. He got a glimpse into heaven to see what's going on. So we just hear the seven letters, and then he says, to the one who conquers, I will do these things. I will do these things. And now we see what's happening. So we read again. After this, I looked 
and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on those thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within and day and night. They never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the, th the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp with golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed the people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. The word of the Lord. And so this is a vision of what is taking place now 
in the heavenly places. If you want to see Old Testament connections with this, you can look at Daniel chapter 7 and 10. Um, those two chapters, Daniel has a vision of heaven and he sees some of these things as well. We'll look at Isaiah chapter 6 in just a minute. Um, but just real briefly, let's look at Ezekiel, if you can find that in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 1. And what this does is you'll see the connections that are made in the Old Testament and you see a little of the nuance. The things that when John and the Holy Spirit is inspiring John, showing him this vision, expects us to go back and look at these connections in the Old Testament so that we can have an understanding of what it is that John is, is seeing there. So in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1, the 30th year in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Chater Canal, the, the heavens were opened. And I saw visions of God. And then down to verse 4. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. And from the midst of, the, of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had human likeness. But each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Now in this vision... Each has four faces. In John's vision, he only sees one face of each of, of these uh, living creatures. Um, but they're the same. Um, they look the same. Though. They, they, and four wings instead of six wings. Again, these are visions. This is not a snapshot or a photograph of what's going on in heaven. And verse 7, their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze under their wings on their four sides. They had human hands and the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side, the four had the face of an ox on the left, and the four had the face of an eagle. So we see the same creatures. Such were their faces. Uh, verse 13, as for the likeness of the creatures, their appearance was like uh, burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. Now what we would see uh, if in Ezekiel chapter 10, uh, he calls these creatures the cherubim. Uh, cherub is a singular, and cherubim is plural. And you may have seen pictures of cherubs. They look like little babies and stuff, and that is not what they look like. Um, we'll also see that sometimes it's probably the same angels that are called cherubim and seraphim. And seraphim means flaming or um, torches or fire so that they are flaming torches. They, they, they look like fire. And this is what he says here. And even in the Garden of Eden, when um, they are cast out of the garden and they can no longer get to the tree of life, um, and there's these flaming swords that turn to and fro to guard the way, he also places their cherubim that are there to protect the way to the tree of life, lest in our fallen state we enter back in and live forever. And so all of the Bible is now about how do we get back to the tree of life? How do we do this? And in the book of Revelation, we see this tribulation that's coming, that was coming upon the churches that were then, and we see that there will be continued tribulation all the way to the end of his return. And how do God's people deal with this? How, how are we to make it um, to the end? How are we to conquer? And what we see here is this throne room 
seen, Ezekiel 1, 22. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was a likeness of an expanse shining like awe-inspiring crystal spread out above their heads. And so in chapter 4 of Revelation, it's called the crystal sea. Now, in between, the, in, the, in the Old Testament, in between the tent of meeting where the, the tabernacle and the altar on the outside was this bronze laver, this big bronze um, bowl up on a uh, stand, and it was filled with water. And that was the priest, anybody entering into the temple, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, had to cleanse themselves first. So they had to wash. They had to um, be baptized before they're able to enter into the presence of God. And then we get to verse 28. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud of the day. Well, let me back up. 27. And upward um, from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw that it was gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness all around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance and likeness of the glory of the Lord. And so he says, there's this a halo. In, the, in Greek here, in Revelation chapter 4, it says that there was a, a rainbow around, in, in verse 3, it says there was around the throne a rainbow. Now, the, the word in Greek there is iris. It's like the iris of your eye, and it could mean, it could be translated uh, rainbow because of what Ezekiel said that he saw. So when you go back and you see Ezekiel call this, it was like the rainbow in the clouds, then that's where you get the translation of this as a rainbow. But the word is iris. It can even mean halo. So what he's surrounded with is a circle. And what we're seeing in this throne room scene, and the only real throne room scenes, I haven't watched Game of Thrones. I imagine there's some throne room scenes there. Uh, the Wizard of Oz has a throne room scene, and they're all marching forward to the throne. But in the throne room of heaven, it seems as if the throne is in the center. And then there is a green halo around it. Um, and then the word for bow in the Old Testament for the rainbow is a battle bow, meaning that it is a battle bow that is placed in the sky and it's pointed toward the heavens and God sees it. And if he does violate that covenant, which is a covenant of peace, a covenant of, of um, the fact that God will not destroy the world again until the final day when all is made new, and so he sees everything through a promise, but this is a, an iris. This is a different type of bow, but it has a connection to the rainbow in Ezekiel. And so God sees everything through his promises. And so if we go back up to Revelation chapter 4, verse 2, I was in the spirit. The throne stood in heaven here, rainbow, elders, Four living creatures, myriads and myriads of angels. So the throne room scene in heaven is concentric circles. It's a circle. It's like this, where the throne is in the middle. At the center of all things is the throne room of God. Everything emanates outward from the throne room of God in this vision. And so the question for the churches is, how are we supposed to do this? And the big answer is, God is in his heavens. Look at Psalm 115. And this is all over the place, in this, particularly in the Psalms, but Psalm 115 is one of these places that we can see it, see it well. 
remember this. There's a song Shy Lynn sings. It's a, not to us, not to us, but to thy name be the glory. Not to us, not to us, but to thy name be the glory. And it kind of goes on. It gets faster and louder. But so Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. This is covenanted promises, and he's faithful to them. Verse 2, why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And that, and that song I like is repeated. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Not to us, not to us, but to thy name be the glory. Their idols are silver and gold. Now remember, this is meant the people of God in this time of the time after the cross when we're shining candles in the world, we're to shine brightly, and Satan is after us, the world is after us, our own flesh is after us to stop this. What power do we have? He wants us to go back and see these things. Their idols of the world are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. What do the living creatures have? Full of eyes. They see everything. They, it's, a, it's a, not just seeing but knowing and understanding and so when we approach the throne room of God and we come across these living creatures like uh, the lion the king of the even the Old Testament talks about these things it's probably where we get the idea of the lion being the king of the beast um, the ox being the, the king of the domesticated animals are used um, for work the eagle being the, the great I mean Tolkien in Lord of the Rings uses the eagles as these um, creatures that are majestic and great in the Old Testament you see that, that the eagle is seen as the powerful, um, do, uh, domineering creature of the sky. And then man, being the fourth face of the living creature, being the pinnacle of all of creation that God has placed upon the earth. And he is saying here that the mouths of the people and the ones that are worshipped by the unbelievers on the earth do not speak. And they have eyes, but they do not see they have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel and do not walk. And they have feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Now they seem to, but God is like, no, not really. Not really. Those who make them, these idols, they, they become like them. So do all who trust in them. So these are the idols that don't make noise. I got, I got lost in my thought. I thought he was talking about the non-believers, but he's talking about the idols they make. They don't have, they have eyes that they see. They have mouths that they don't speak. They're, 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 they're blind. There's nothingness. And if that's what you worship, that's what you're going to become like. If you're worshiping whatever God it is, whatever idol it is, and you have to look in your own life and see what is it that tears me away from Scripture? What is it that tears me away from the worship of God? What is it that draws my heart away at times, away from the things of God? What causes fear? What causes insecurity? What causes lust? What causes all these negative things in my life? Um, those are your idols. And the more you worship them, the more you become like them. Which is kind of good news because we worship the living God. So the more we worship the living God, the more we are to be like him. The more we become like Christ. The more you focus on him, think about him, go to him, dwell on him, worship him, the more like him you'll become. So it says in verse 9, Psalm 115, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. 
And it goes on talking about the mighty boast that we have in our Lord. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. He is in control. And that is the good news for the churches. That is the good news for us as well. So he sees that one seated on the throne. And this is God the Father Almighty. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper. And apparently that's like a clear, like a diamond type um, emerald or stone. And then carnelian, which I think is similar to Sardis, which is a deep red. And then around the throne was the rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. So you have these beautiful colors. You have in the tabernacle of the Old Testament, there were plenty of beautiful stones. And so we see this as it's just a picture of majesty and beauty. And then again, around the throne, the next thing is the 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Now there is a debate as to, well, who are these elders? And I agree with everybody that agrees with me on this. Um, and it seems to make the most sense that these are the 12 um, tribes of Israel, the heads of the people of God's people in the Old Testament, and the 12 apostles who are the representatives of the, the um, people in the New Testament. The word there is presbyteros. That's where we get a word presbytery from. So these are presbyters. <laughs> these, are, these are elders, which reminds me, General Assembly is this week. Please pray for General Assembly coming up, that God's name would remain holy, that we would be silent before him, except in the praises of his name. Any decisions that are made would be made by his power and by his spirit. So these 24 thrones, the reason I think it seems obvious that these are indeed representatives of saints in heaven is because of the fact, one, that they are on a throne. And if you look at Revelation 2.26... To the one who conquers, and this is different letters of churches, if you conquer the one who is a victor, to the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule over them with a rod of iron. So the idea of a throne and the idea of ruling and power are here. And then in 321, chapter 3, verse 21, to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. So if you conquer you're going to be on a throne. And we see these 24 thrones, and these elders are seated on these thrones. Next, these white garments. And what do the white garments represent? It's purity. It's the fact that you're able to be in the presence of God. And so let's look at chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. To the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And so here you see these elders on thrones, and they're in white garments. And then in 3.18, we also read, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And so here they are, believers, now, as we worship, now in a throne room, surrounded by 
us surrounded by representative elders from the Old Testament and the New Testament all around the throne, all centered on the lamb who was slain, all worshiping him. And the first thing that comes up that we run into are these 24 elders. And then they have these crowns. So two chap chapter 2, verse 10. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation, but be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The Stephanos. This is the same crown we see here in chapter 311. We see it again. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. This is the victor's crown. This is, this is what these guys are wearing. These are the 24 elders around the throne, that seated on the throne, wearing these white garments, which is amazing because that's how we are able to enter into his presence. You're naked and ashamed in the garden, and then clothed with the skin of an animal. And then as you progress through the, the Bible, I was listening to White Horse Inn today on the podcast, and they're talking about Esau, Jacob entering in, pretending to be Esau, clothing himself with the garments of Esau, pretending to be somebody so that he can get the blessing. And so what happens finally is Jacob can't provide the blessing for us because he got it by lying and cheating. But the Lord Jesus Christ becomes the liar, becomes the cheat. He becomes the one that bears the clothing of the liar, and he becomes sin. He becomes the curse. And then he provides us with his own garments of righteousness, white garments. And so when we approach the throne of God, we approach represented by Jesus Christ, and we go directly to the throne. But we've got to see this vision of what's happening with the church all believers through all times as we are petitioning the Lord our God how does this work and so if you look at chapter 5 verse 8 and when he had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp that's where we get the idea of these harps <laughs> and a golden and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So when we ask God for something, in this vision, what we see are 24 elders with your prayers in this incense, which is the sweet smell that rises before God. It's Old Testament imagery, and they, it's right there at the throne of God. If you get an open door, and you see the Holy of Holies in the heavens. God is on the throne, doing whatever he pleases. He is surrounded at the inner circle of these 24 elders who have your prayers and presenting them to God. And that's why the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. Because they are brought to... It's like you have a friend that gets to go visit the President of the United States every week or so. And you say... Hey, will you give him that for me? Yeah. He knows you and he loves you too. And he'll go in there and he give it to the president. The president will be like, I'll do that. <laughs> or he'll go, yeah, he, he thinks he wants that, but he doesn't really want that. I think um, <laughs> I know what he wants. I know what he means. And so, yeah, we, I've got that. And that's what we have. You've got the 24 elders circled around the center of everything. The Lord is 
in his heavens, on his throne, he does whatever he pleases, then why do we pray? Because one of the things that pleases him is having us pray to him and for him to outwork everything in creation through our prayers so that it all, as we see, redounds to his worship. So that as he does these outworkings and this appeals of lightning and thunder we see in the Old Testament, it's judgments and majesty and power that's coming. And, and those who were afraid, you could not touch the mountain unless you die. Now we're told to approach. You're told to approach. And this is the power that's on our side. And as we pray, it's just being presented to God before the throne. And they're clothed in white garments, and we have these crowns. And then verse 5, and from the throne comes these flashes and lightnings and rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne were the seven torches of fire, and, which are the seven spirits of God. And we've seen this early in Revelation. It's the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit in the world. So before the throne, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all right there. We're in the, surrounded by that. And before that throne, the seven spirits of God... So the, the Spirit of God is the, the person who connects us to, to the throne. And before the throne, as it were, there was a sea of glass, which represents this bronze labor. And it's, it's like glass now. As Jesus said, peace be still, and he stilled the sea. There's nothing to disturb the water. What would have disturbed the water? Those having to be cleansed. They're clean. They're wearing white. They're in white garments. It also can be seen as um, the way that there's perfection and peace before God. And around the throne, again, on each side were these four living creatures. They're full of eyes in front and behind. So they see everything. They know what's going on. These are the most powerful of the angelic realms, the cherubim and seraphim, and they're there. And the first living creature is like a lion, it would be red, the other like an ox, the third with the face of a man, the fourth with the eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings full of eyes all around, day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now this will foreshadow us as we come to the Lord's table, as we see um, the one that was, as we proclaim his death. We look back and we say, I see what he has done. But he is one that is. Now, we proclaim it today. He is with us present in this meal spiritually. He does exist now. And we proclaim his death until he comes. And this is the one. This is what we see. The one who was and is and not the one who will be. Because he is the being one. He is the I am. But he is to come. So there is more to what God is going to do. And there will be a final day when he will appear in glory. And we will all appear in glory with him. Because we are gathered with him even now around the throne. And this is Isaiah 6. So if you're not familiar with it, and even if you are, this is one of the more famous passages. Look up R.C. Sproul in Isaiah 6. And he has a good sermon he does as he talks about the holiness of God. The only characteristic of God. The only attribute of God that is listed um, in the, the, the three repetitions. Um, we say God is love. We say, but to say God is holy, holy, holy. It's to the 
exponentially to the third power. And this is the only attribute of God. So that all the other attributes of God, his love, his wrath, whatever else we talk of of God are defined by his holiness. So his love is holy. His wrath is holy. His, his mercy and grace are holy. And the holiness of God is what defines him. And it's this thing that is more than just perfection. It's more than just this otherly set-apartness. There's, there are things about God that are completely different than us. But there's also things about God that he communicates to us as well. We call them communicable attributes. Things that enable us to feel some of what God feels and to think and experience some of what God experiences so that we can access information and have an intimate knowledge of him but his holiness here we see Isaiah chapter 6 as Isaiah is entered into this heavenly vision I saw in the year that King Uzziah died the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple and above him stood the seraphim each had six wings with two he covered his face and with two he covered his feet and with two he flew because they could not look upon and they could not def defame the holiness of God and they're constantly before the holiness of God and they called out to one another and said holy 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 is the Lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke and I said woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth and said behold this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for and I heard the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send and whom will go for us and he said here I am send me and he said go and then he says basically pronounce my words to the people and so this is clearly what we see here in verse 8 in Revelation chapter 4 as the seraphim who are obviously these four living creatures never cease day and night to holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Again, remember, this is our God who is in the heavens so that as we go through our trials, as we go through our tribulations, as we go through the things that may tend to overwhelm and conquer us, we don't understand the power of of our God in verse 9 and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever so this is we should live in worship this is the things that we endure the things that we that we go through we should see that he is holy that he is above all that he has called us into this worship of him and not just into worship but into this working where we are with him in the heavenly places not just kind of bouncing around in heaven but around his throne gathered so that the seraphim yeah they're, they're out there we're circling around and we're in here surrounded on thrones and we fall down before him because he is the one who is truly on the throne and worship him so we don't worship ourselves we don't worship the seraphim we don't worship creation we fall and worship him and cast their crowns before the throne 
So these victor crowns with these elders who represent us know and what we will know is like, look, we get a crown. And then you can't just stare at the crown, look how good I did. No, it's all to Christ, all to God. This, the, you fall down to worship and you throw your crowns at his feet and that is worship because he won the victory and he shares that victory with us. And then we say, the elders say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. And then what we'll look at when we come to chapter 5 is the seals, the scrolls, the outworking of salvation and everything that's going to take place. Um, somebody has to open those scrolls. Somebody has to have the power to do this outworking of God. And there's nobody that's worthy. But we've just seen in chapter 4, worthy are you. And John sees this. And there's and no one's worthy. And so John's like, no one's worthy. And then he realizes that Christ is there. He sees the lamb and he recognizes the one who is worthy, the one who is worthy of all worship, the one who has defeated Satan, the serpent of the garden, the one who has given us his garments of righteousness, the one who loves the smell of the incense of our prayers, the one who holds us in his hand, the one who tells us to come to his table and eat and that if you open the door, he will come in and eat with you and worship. He'd be worshiped by you and he will be with you. So that we had to remember as we go through trials and we're called to be victors that these are the things that are in heaven that await us and is not to us, but to his name be the glory. First Corinthians 4, 7, Paul writes, what do you have that you did not receive? In other words, what do you have that was not given to you as a gift? And so when you stand before you know, the God of all creation and you look back at all the blessings that you've had, you will have to acknowledge it's all from him. And hopefully what he will do in our lives, maybe more and more if we can stand it, is to be able to see our blessing in light of the suffering that others have in this life. So that when we see our personal blessings that we have merely by living in this country and, and for other reasons as well, that we'd see that that's a gift of God and that we're to use those blessings to add to our praise and to, to help others to be a blessing to others as much as we can too so that we don't become arrogant. We don't begin to worship these blessings as idols or we will become like them. We want to worship the giver and not the gifts. We're thankful for all that we have, but we also have to remember the one who gave them to us and that we are to be like Christ as we live here on this earth because we do live in a fallen world but that does not mean that God is not on his throne. It is a reminder that we are not on the throne, but we can surround his throne with prayer. And we are to surround his throne with praise. We are to help the world to see an open door 
that they refuse to see. But the Holy Spirit shines in the churches in the darkness as we proclaim what we've seen and what we know and what is there and the salvation that's available. And in that proclamation is how the Holy Spirit calls people to himself and adds to his number all the time. And so we would pray that our prayers for the salvation of our family members, um, for our marriages, for the world, that they're added to these golden bowls of incense presented before God. And he loves to answer our prayers. And he loves us to be in his presence. Let's pray. Father God, you are in the heavens. You do whatever you please. You've told us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that you've commanded. There's lots of things you've told us to do in Scripture. Pray, worship, Lord's Supper, baptism, church, gather with the saints. All these things, means of grace, you've given us to connect us to yourself so that we might see into the heavenlies as well and know that we surround a throne where all the power is. Help us to live in the light of this so that we know as we go forward and there are problems and attacks and issues and stuff that we'll deal, deal with here that the heavenly reality is it will all be set right and you are on your throne and you are with us now. And as we pray in Christ's name, amen.